Hello and welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware, brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded Saturday, February 21st, 2021. And a good evening to you. I'm Greg from Philly. Back. <laughs> it's good to be back. I'm your host for this evening's podcast. Today we are talking with Rhonda Neal, President and Executive Director of the St. Joseph Parenting Center. The St. Joseph Parenting Center is a non-sectarian community and resource center for parents. It offers 28 different parenting classes, including a fatherhood program. The Parenting Center's goal is to educate parents to help them replace unhealthy parenting patterns with healthy ones. By doing this, the Parenting Center intends to decrease the incidence of child abuse and neglect and provide a healthy environment so that each child can grow and achieve his or her potential as an adult. Rhonda Neal's career in nonprofits began after spending nearly 10 years in the utility industry, performing home energy audits, designing commercial lighting projects, and leading green energy efficient initiatives. While passionate about green energy, Rhonda left the industry to pursue a career in the nonprofit sector. Her passion for nonprofit work started with an organization known as Inroads. Inroads was created based on inspiration by Dr. Martin Luther King's landmark, I Have a Dream speech. Inroads seeks to place ethnically diverse employees into corporate management positions. Rhonda herself was, a, was an Inroads intern. And while at Inroads, she drove efforts to get more minority interns into corporate America, including significant progress at General Electric and Damon Associates, a brand marketing company. Rhonda also spent nearly 15 years working for Guideposts, a nonprofit organization which, among other things, publishes and distributes inspiring reading material to millions of people. The Alliance Party After Dark would like to emphasize that views Rhonda expresses are hers based on her experiences and not that of any entity or organization with which she may be affiliated. Rhonda, I'm very excited to have you. Welcome to Alliance Party After Dark. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> excited <laughs> as well. Um, so as you're well aware, we've had a lot of progress in the United States with regards to equal rights and opportunities for all Americans, but there is still a very long road ahead of us. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of glass ceilings for women, people of color. It's a white male dominated corporate world out there. Also gender orientation issues in there as well. And some people such as yourself have been able to push up and through this ceiling, but it is difficult, emotionally draining. Can you talk about your background in this, some of the experiences you've had trying to push against this sort of default culture and any lessons that you've gained on your path to success? Well, my work experience as an African-American female um, has been authentic to the reality of being a person of color in the US. Not that that connotes that everything is bad, but where I didn't gain, I learned and I used it as a stepping stone. I believe you have to take the good with the bad and to make those moments count. Um, being a woman of color, I've had my fair shares of dealing with racism and sexism and sometimes both at the same time. Um, as, I'm, as I'm talking, I'm recalling my first experience straight out of college. Um, I went to, I graduated from historically black college. Um, in my former years, I, I predominantly went to school where there, there were mainly white people. Um, and then when I graduated from high school, I decided to go to a historically black college and I graduated from Hampton University. Both of my parents graduated from there. My dad graduated with a math degree and my mother with a science degree. And I didn't want to do either one of those things, but I went to the school. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's ironic, you know, and my mom, and my mom used to uh, say that God has a funny sense of humor because my first job out of um, college was working for the utility industry, which is all math and science. And I remember um, being in a predominantly white male industry. Um, and at that time in the early 90s, we were charged with saving kilowatt hours, which is the unit of measure of electricity. Um, it was a federal program. We were getting incented. Um, it was called demand side management. And so we had to go out to different commercial, industrial, and residential um, 
facilities and show them how to save on their electric bill and we would get incentive. And I remember that myself and a young um, white colleague, young male, um, we had two engineer associates that we were supposed to be working with. The head said, okay, Rhonda worked with this person and so-and-so worked with the other person. And we had to kind of navigate or survey the area and, and, and reach out to different corporations and um, commercial facilities to talk about how they could save on electricity. And my engineer, and it's funny because I was in the North and he was in the South. I don't know if, there, if there's an additional behind the scenes meaning behind that, but the guy that I was working with, he did not want to show me anything. Um, as a matter of fact, he went and showed the young guy who was primarily working in the South. Um, he was teaching him about, you know, just, you know, high powered motors, um, energy efficient motors, energy efficient appliances, um, lighting. I mean, he was giving all his time to him. And I would humbly ask and say, is there anything that you want to show me? And he was like, no, there's nothing to show. And this probably went on for about two or three months now, intuitively, even though I was, you know, you know, fresh out of college, I knew that he was ignoring me. He did mm -hmm. not want to show me. Um, and I couldn't tell if it was racism or sexism or both because the whole environment was all white male. Long story short, um, I remember praying to God and I was like, Lord, you know the pickle that I'm in. I'm responsible for saving so many kilowatt hours. The guy that's the engineer that's supposed to show me is not showing me, what do I do? Um, so at that time, I decided to reach out to other people in the industry and they helped me. And I went out there on my own. Now, you, you got to remember, my background is business management. It's not science. It's not math. And it's, I di definitely didn't have any experience working in the utility industry. And um, I was able to learn. I had a few people take me to the side and, you know, showed me how to, you know, size up lighting jobs, how to um, help people understand that it's not your daughter's curling iron that's causing your electric bill to go up, but it's that extra freezer you have in the basement kind of a thing. Um, so long story short, um, by the time we had to calculate all the kilowatt hours that we saved, I, I actually ended up saving more than this guy that had help from two engineers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny because, you know, I, I, I also believe that God has a sense of humor as well, too. Um, oh, yeah. So I ended up becoming like this rock star. And, you know, to the chagrin of the others, they were not happy. And, you know, HR asked me what happened. And I was authentic. I said, listen, you know, um, I humbly asked and I got rejected every step along the way. Um, you paid me to do a job. I had to get the job done. And I had to reach out to other people who were gracious enough to help me. And I got it done. Um, needless to say, they did some um, laying off of a couple of people in that department. And, um, and I left that particular organization after about six years or so. And I went on to a bigger and better um, role in, in another utility organization. So, so that experience, yeah, I mean, you got to remember, I'm young. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing, but I had to figure out what to do. And um, my biggest lesson from that experience was really to rely on God, to be resourceful, to not take things personally, um, to always keep my eye on the prize regardless, because I, what I've learned over the years is that racism is not my problem it's the racist problem. Now it impacts me, but I have a choice in terms of how I respond to that. So um, from a very young age, I, I had to learn how to deal with it. And um, I didn't lose my economy. I didn't cuss anybody out. You know, I kept my head up high and I did what I had to do. That's a, uh, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and it's great that you know, when you did reach out to the rest of your industry, they provided you that support. I'm sure that must have been kind of uh, re reassuring to you in that moment that, you know, there were people out there that were willing to help you. Yes, I was so grateful. Um, and, and that's what I learned. You know, there may be some people who 
don't want to see you successful, but for every one of those, it's probably two, two people who want to see you successful and you've just got to reach out. Well, I'm sure you've interacted with other folks who have faced similar challenges to you during the course of your career. Maybe you've been in a position to help them. I was wondering if you could talk to us about uh, other women or persons of color that you ran into that had that similar experience. What have you guys discussed or do you, have you networked with them? Do you provide support to them or are there programs that you participate in? One thing we'd love to know is how is this experience changing in one way or another as we're moving forward on this journey? You know, I believe that every experience we have, good, bad, or indifferent, has purpose. Um, it is up to us to, to, you know, recall, retell our stories to empower others in a constructive, not destructive way. So some of the issues that people of color face just in general um, they can range anything, they can range anywhere from being overlooked for a promotion, um, receiving a heavier workload, being excluded from, you know, key meetings, um, treated as if we're invisible. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I was talking to my mom earlier today, um, you know, the word qualified always seems to show up when it comes to people of color. Are they qualified? Um, and she relayed a story. Um, so my mom has a six year degree um, in science. Um, she's a chemistry, she was a chemistry teacher. And um, when we moved from Massachusetts to um, Danbury, she had applied at Danbury High School and they overlooked her with all of her education and all of her experience. Um, and they hired a woman who was a photographer. Talk about a slap in the face. Um, but my mom, she was like, you know what? One monkey doesn't stop the show. Um, there are other towns like Brookfield, um, Bethel and Ridgefield. She can go other places. And she did, she went to Ridgefield and lo and behold, Danbury had to call her back because they didn't have enough, um, as the population was becoming more diverse, they needed, they were getting pressure from um, like the NAACP about making sure that there's representation at the, at, you know, in the school system. And so they had to call her back. And she ended up, you know, having about a 15 year career with Danbury High School as a chemistry teacher and she um, was a tennis coach. So she brought a lot of value and good to, to, to the high school, even though it started out kind of rocky. And so I, I look at my parents' examples um, and they really give me, like, I can't fail because of the sacrifices that they've made, my ancestors have made with their life. <laughs> um, I, even if I'm tired, I don't feel like I have a right to sit down because I have to honor my legacy and the sacrifices that they've made. Um, you know, my dad, he's a, he's a product from the ghettos of Boston. He was able to, you know, um, go to college. He became an executive at IBM. Um, he became a business owner and then he became a math professor empowering young African-American men in, in mathematics. Um, so I, I look at all that they have done and I just keep pressing and striving. Yes, I get tired, but I don't complain. Oh, so a, those are a never ending so, struggle. So <laughs> it's a never ending, it's a never ending struggle. So I have friends and I'm part of groups where we, we talk about these issues and we talk about, first of all, people need to know that we always have a choice. Now I don't advocate running from your problem. Um, but I do let people know that you do have a choice. Now there are some jobs that I stayed in, um, because I was waiting for a better opportunity. I wasn't gonna allow that circumstance to dictate what I could and couldn't have. Um, and there were other times when, you know, the, I, I just left. Um, you know, I just left and got another job, you know. So we always have choices. And I think sometimes people feel like they're stuck. And, um, you know, being stuck, I always say there's a danger in not moving forward. We're never stuck. We're never out of ideas. We're never out of options. So we've always got to continue to learn the, the hard, painful truths, 
but push forward as an example of what could be. Um, and you know, and part of my, and part of my journey is that I really, I have really good white friends, you know, and and the workplace is probably the number one place where cultures and classes and genders and races all have to come together. And so part of my story is that I maintain those relationships regardless of political, religious, socioeconomic situations because that keeps me a part of the human race. I wanna double back to something you, you, you just mentioned that decision point between whether to stay put, push back, change and go a whole different direction or a whole different location. Mm-hmm. Walk us through, I mean, this, your personal experience, when you yep. run into a problem or a challenge like that mm-hmm. and you go, okay, this is a time when I need to make that call. How do you think about that problem? What, what signals to you to go in one direction or another and mm-hmm. what should people look out for when they face that challenge? Right. So when do you stay and when do you um, go? So I had one situation yeah. working for a uh, telemarketing um, organization and I was the top salesperson and um, they were bringing in people that were making way more money than me. Um, I had a bachelor's degree at the time. They didn't even have a degree. And I knew that was unjust. And um, I went and I talked to them about, you know, getting an increase. And they were said, and they said no. And I said, okay. Um, it was kind of one, it was an intermediate job. So it wasn't something that I had planned to stay long anyways. Um, I had reached out to Inroads, believe it or not, and I said, listen, you know, because I was an intern with them. I said, listen, I'm I'm looking to leave this place sooner rather than later. Um, can you, you know, do you have any connections with corporations? And they said, well, we're hiring. I said, okay, fine. I put my two weeks notice in and then I ended up working for the place that provided my provided me my pre-professional work experience as an intern in corporate America. So that was a pretty quick decision. Um, this latest decision, leaving my last organization um, of 15 years, it was a little different. You know, I had invested a lot of time. Um, it got to the point where um, within the last four years, and you can kind of connect the dots, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it became, it started looking strange and feeling strange. Um, I will say, <clears throat> probably about 18 people of color within a short period of time, two years, they left that organization. Now, there might've been biases biases there all along, but it really didn't become obvious until the last four years. And um, I remember we had got, we, we, we got a new leader in the organization and, you know, we started out on a good note, but I don't know what happened, but all I know is that the two people that were working for me, they were Caucasian women, they got promoted. Now I'm the head of the department. I mean, I created programs that really gave them high visibility and I had never gotten promoted. And I had gone to them maybe four or five times. I mean, these two young ladies, they might've worked for me for a couple of years and all of a sudden they're worthy of promotion. Not only were they worthy of promotion and I wasn't, they were not looking to fill those positions with staff support. So to me, that was a real slap in the face. And I wanted to, every fiber of my being, I wanted to quit. I was so upset I had to take the next day off and um, to get my composure, you know, cause we're human, right? So I'm not saying that you don't feel what you feel, but you go through what you gotta go through and then, you know, put a game plan together. Um, I stayed with that organization for a year and a half until I found the right job, which is the job that I have now. And I did some of my best work because a shift took place in my mind that number one, even though I work for them, they're not the boss of me. Number two, success is not for them to give nor to take away. 
And I, I, I put together a, a Facebook live event that was people they're still raving about. Um, I did some of my best work and I did it under the oppression of the leadership because I wanted them to know that you can't stop me. <laughs> you know, you shook me up a little bit, but you can't <laughs> stop me. And, um, and when I left, you know, I'll never forget the CEO was like, wow, you're going to be like me. And I said, no, I'm not. I am not going to be like you. I have a different approach. Um, and then the, 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 they had a senior vice president who was a woman, a Caucasian woman, which, you know, there's something to be said about a queen bee. You know, a queen bee is a woman in leadership who will not support other women uh, because they want to stay on their perch. Now, this is a person who I've had many battles with um, over frivolous things because I knew she was an insecure leader and just my very presence just made her nervous. And so I never expected her to be any type of support. And I'll never forget when I left, um, she wanted to meet with me. And um, so I said to this individual, now that I'll be kind of like, you know, in, in senior leadership, what advice would you recommend, you know, one woman professional to another? And she was like, well, what I would recommend is that when you're taking notes, leave a margin on the side so that you can go back and rewrite those notes so that you can understand them. I said, okay, anything else? <laughs> 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 you know, she says, you know, um, when you're in big meetings, you know, always try to think of good questions. I said, oh, okay, anything else? She's like, no, that's it. I was like, okay. So Riv like, riveting I, advice. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so so I knew she didn't have a lot to give. And and I kind of knew that I had to leave because I was such a high performer. And when you're dealing at that level, it's more about loyalty than it is performance because when you know more than your boss or your boss's boss, unless you're comfortable in your own skin, you become an immediate threat. And it's not about promoting leaders, it's about getting rid of them. So I had a good run. It was one of the best experiences that I had because I had to overcome a lot of challenges. Um, and I tell people, you know, I stayed a year and a half because I needed to let myself know that I could, I could deal with this and not make a mess of it. I can walk out a professional. And more importantly, I wanted to leave this place and go to a better place, a, a higher level place, because I felt like I had earned my stripes. And, and that's what I did. Were days tough? Yes. But when you have joy in your heart, knowing that you don't know when, it's not a question of if it's, <laughs> you know, I kept, I kept working hard. I kept showing up early, working late. Um, and people just thought I was crazy, but I had to be that example. This is what you do to let them know that they don't have control over your career. What's really jumping out to me is the, the overwhelming amount of confidence that you have. Even just talking about it, I can hear it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a striking contrast to you mentioned the insecure leader. I think everyone out there listening to this show can think of at least one that they've run into where that insecurity manifests in a lot of self-destructive ways, but more often ways destructive to their team and everyone around them. And to right. contrast that with a leader like yourself, I think it's very powerful. And, and that's how, you know, like, even though I'm in a leadership role now, you know, I'm good to my staff. I mean, I hold them to a high standard. I may ask them to do something on the weekend. I'm, you know, I'm just a hard worker, but I always have their best interests at heart. You know, I'm always looking for ways to acknowledge or reward them for going above and beyond. I said, I pay you for doing the job, but when you go above and beyond and I find out, trust me, your names are gonna be in lights on First and, um, first and Main Street because that's what I appreciate. And you know, you have to be good to people. 
Yeah, well, I believe in you reap what you sow. And, and I knew that when I was at that other job, I had to keep sowing good seeds because I wanted to reap a good harvest. If I had gotten down to their level, who knows where I would have been. I probably would have still been there sulking or they probably would have fired me. So sometimes you have to push against the things that push against you, but do it in a way that's going to be, you know, constructive versus destructive. Um, and you talk about my confidence. I mean, my confidence really, it comes from my parents. I mean, my mom is an immigrant from Cuba. Um, she almost died. Um, and her family was very, very poor. And my grandparents made sure that my mom and her sisters got educated. I already told you about my dad, um, you know, growing up in the ghettos of Boston. And they made sure that we had a well-rounded experience. We grew up middle-class, but he never shied us away from the plight of people who didn't have what we had, people in the ghettos. Um, and then he says, you know, I put you in schools that are predominantly white because that is who you're gonna work with. And you have got to be comfortable in your own skin, understanding that there'll be some Caucasians who are smarter than you and some who are not. And I, I think where my confidence came at when we, when we left Stoughton, Massachusetts and moved to Sharon, Massachusetts, um, I was never a good test taker. And so they put me and they had the levels A, B, C, and D, they put me in the D level. And I was in a D level. I had a great time. You know, people that looked like me were there. We, you know, I was getting A's. I was like, everything is great. My dad goes up to the school and was like, um, my daughter is getting A's in your class. That's a problem. And they were like, why is it a problem? We said, because she's not being challenged. That's what that's telling me. So I got moved up into the C level. Less people of color, but, you know, I was still getting A's. Um, long story short, by the time I left junior high school, I was in A and B classes and doing well. And so my dad, who used to, on a Saturday morning while everybody was playing, he used to work with me on math and do math drills and, and, and writing and all of that. You know, I learned from a very young age that if I put the work into it and get the help instead of feeling insecure and not asking for help, that I could actually do well. Um, I did well in the utility industry, which, like I said, I had no interest in math or science, but I did well. But it's because of how I was raised. Um, they had it so hard that they wanted to make sure that we knew what it was like to be hard, but that we have an opportunity to make it better and make a difference. And so that has always stayed with me. Your parents sound absolutely amazing. I got to tell you. <laughs> Thank you. They are. <laughs> Unfortunately, my dad passed away last year. Um, oh, I'm so I, sorry. Yeah, but I have such strong memories that they really sustain me. I mean, even when I make decisions, I think about, you know, what would my father say or what would my father think, you know, and my mom is here, so I get to talk to her. So even though, you know, I'm, I'm you know, adding a few years, um, I still respect and value the advice my parents give or have given me. Advice can be incredibly powerful, and we already touched on uh, you know, some some people in your career who didn't give you that that support and that advice when you needed it. I was wondering if you could think about the young women of color that are out there right now getting their start in the corporate world. What specific advice would you give them besides some of the, the things that we've covered here? Mm -hmm. This is opportunity to speak directly to them, you know, if they're looking to figure out their their path they're running into their first professional challenges maybe they don't have that confidence yet what would yeah. you tell them you know one of the things we know microaggressions um happen all the time and it happens with everyone um so my first advice would be not to take things too personal um sometimes you have to look at the bigger picture sometimes you have to let some time pass in order for things to be revealed um, don't, don't act impulsively um, because you want to preserve your economy. If you come in a professional, you want to leave as a professional. Um, you know, develop a network of people that could give you advice and support you, um, whether they're in the company or outside of the company. I mean, I was blessed to have both. Um, 
So it's important to have people that you can talk to, just even to talk things out. Sometimes, you know, like even when you write an email, you know, emails can be, seem impersonal. And I always tell people, you know, share your email with somebody so it doesn't, so to make sure it doesn't sound like it's um, curt. And, um, and the same thing with, you know, talking, you bounce, you need somebody to bounce what you're thinking, what you want to do. You need to, you need someone to talk to. So develop a professional network internally, externally to kind of help you understand the lay of the land and to not step on any landmines. <laughs> um, you always have to work hard. Um, you know, <clears throat> my older brother, who's a, um, He's, he's a, a business PhD and he, and he loved baseball. And he says, Rhonda, when you play a sport, everyone goes to practice. He says, what you do in between practice and the game determines your spot on the field. So you always have to work harder. Um, look for, and I used to tell people, I even tell my daughter, listen, anybody that can solve a problem, they're golden. So don't run away from problems, be challenged by them. Um, if people are belly aching about a particular situation, be the solution. Um, you know, you may have to put in some extra time, you know, in the beginning, you're going to be overworked and probably underpaid, but if you do it right, eventually you'll be overpaid and underworked. So you got to put your time in, you're going to have to work really hard. Um, and Again, you know, the, the whole networking piece, I, I think, is, um, is, is pretty important. A shout out to your daughter, who's just beginning this journey for herself. Recent grad, am I right? Yes. Oh, my goodness. She, uh, <laughs> she, she, she has a tough personality. Um, I, I don't know how she did it, but she graduated in four years with honors after, you know, she, she, she was the second fastest um, kid in the state of Connecticut her senior year in high school in 2015 um, and she got a scholarship a partial scholarship to Virginia State and so she ran track and she belly ached the whole time but <laughs> I, I tell you her senior year the women's winter um, uh, track meet they won and I said see now suppose you quit like your freshman year your sophomore year, your junior year you wouldn't have realized the champion in you so sometimes you got to suck it up. <laughs> you know, I told her, you can call me in Bellier, but then get back out there. Yeah, there's there's no champion that I've ever met in anything that, that hasn't had to push through that. So, yeah, you know, um, so <laughs> so she she she's a tough cookie. She's gainfully employed in her field, social work. Um, she's looking to go back and get her MSW. So um, I'm really pleased because, um, like I said, it was it was like pulling teeth. I remember one <laughs> rebellious year when she was in middle school. She's like, I'm not going to college because I know that's what you want me to do. And I used to get upset. And then I was like, wait a minute. OK, you don't have to go to college. But I tell you one thing, as soon as you graduate, you're either going into the military or we're going down to McDonald's and get you outfitted for a uniform because that is where you'll be because you're going to work. And so um, <laughs> she got herself together by the time she was a senior in high school. I was like, okay. So I had to flip the script on her. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole Alliance Party team and all of our listeners send out your love and good vibes to Rhonda's daughter. Uh, <laughs> she sounds like an absolutely amazing young woman. Yeah, no, she is. She, she's a joy. A lot of energy, but she's a joy. Um, but, you know, I... <laughs> Just to kind of segue a little bit, I, I really want to kind of focus in on, like I have advice for women of color, but, but I also have advice for, for white people, you know, white women, white, white men. And um, the first thing I want to say is that we're not your enemy. <laughs> um, and, you know, we want the same, everybody wants the th same thing. They want that American dream. And, when we start trying to deny people of that, that has a self-fulfilling prophecy. And like I said, I, I have some really good white friends that I, I, I just had um, dinner with them a couple of weeks ago um, that I cherish because 
they, I, I, I get to see things from their perspective and then they get to see things from my perspective. And, and I have to tell them sometimes, I said, listen, nobody has the monopoly on smarts. So to think that white people are smarter than black people is a fallacy. We have smart and not so smart in between in both races. And when you treat us as if we are inferior, then you're actually subscribing to that myth, um, that lie. And so I'm able to have um, open, honest, I mean, you have to tell the truth. I said, you know, we have been whitewashed and written out of history. So you probably think that the only thing that we bring to the table is our slave experience. But we had scientists, inventors, mathematicians that have um, helped to build this country that we both love. And so while I'm learning about, you know, European history and colonialism, I, I, I implore them to learn about Black history, you know, um, and some of the contributions, significant contributions that we've made. Many people don't realize that, um, you know, the White House was designed by a person of color. You know, the North Pole was, was discovered by Matthew Henson. Um, so so it's, it's things like that. I think the sharing of knowledge and information about what we have done. And, and some of them come back, you know, and they say, you know, I didn't know that. Oh, that's surprising. Oh, I didn't know that. So I, I think that having these teaching moments, extending an olive leaf, being honest and truthful um, are ways that we can come together and be able to look at one another as a citizen of humanity and not superior inferiority. And Absolutely. so, so that, that, that would be, you know, some of my, you know, my advice to, you know, and then if you have an opportunity, cause you'll hear people say, well, you know, don't make me pay for what my ancestors have done. And, and we're not, you know, but when you uh, don't open the doors and give people of color equity and access, then you're perpetuating it <laughs> and you don't even realize you're perpetuating it, you know? Um, so, so if there's an opportunity to hire someone that doesn't look like you, because we know people feel comfortable promoting, being around people that look like them, I would challenge them to broaden their circle. I would challenge them to look at opportunities to be diligent, not just lip service, but be diligent. Go to the historically black colleges, do some recruiting. You'll find some great talent within those institutions and they can only bolster, enhance what you already have done. I mean, there's so many studies about how diversity versus a homogeneous community far, you know, their performance far exceeds the homogeneous community. So everybody wins, you know, everybody wins. And so where people, you know, where Caucasians can make a difference, even small incremental ones, I would encourage them to do it because it's only going to benefit them in the workplace. Something you said way back at the start of the podcast really resonated with me. That racism is the racist problem. And as much destruction and hurt and harm that they can do to others with their actions, ultimately the biggest person that they're hurting is themselves. And any hope that they have of having the full success of, and happiness of their life Right. So that, that was, that really stuck with me. Well, um, before we move on to some of your work at the St. Joseph Parenting Center, which I am really excited to talk about, uh, one thing I'd be remiss in bringing up any conversation with a, with a leader with your experience, failure can also be a really important teacher. And we've talked a lot about things that have worked for you. I was wondering if you could talk about, um, an instance where you tried something and it, it didn't work out and what you pulled away from that lesson? Um, yes. So <laughs> I have a couple of those. <laughs> I remember when I first started working with an organization, uh, I had to design this appreciation coin because they use them a lot in the military. 
And like, I'm, that's not, I'm, you know, that's not my bent, you know, creative being creative. And so, um, we would decide to have this particular person on this coin and instead of working with it and, and trying to find some, um, better drawings, I just went with the first drawing and the guy looked like a duck. And we spent like $5,000 printing these coins. And I actually keep a coin with me because it lets me know that I'm human and I make mistakes. Um, I had to humbly acknowledge, you know, where I fell short, which was rushing it through and not taking the time to do the research and, and talking to people. Um, and, you know, and they were forgiving and we just went back and got somebody who could draw the picture right and, and they kept moving forward. Um, and it's funny when I do bring it up, they're like, they forgot about it, but I'll never forget it because I was really embarrassed. <laughs> um, another time for En-ROADS, um, we were doing a talent day where all the qualified interns were to interview with, with major corporations and we do it under you know one roof well i had two organizations just kind of insistent that you know because it was fairfield west in roads fairfield westchester county so trying to accommodate we had one event in westchester and on the same day and one event in in connecticut and it was a big disaster um the connecticut people felt like they got the bottom of the barrel candidates and they were not happy um and the leader and the leader at the time was a, a powerful woman at GE and she let me have it so while I was taking my tongue lashing I said okay next year I asked them to be the host and we did one and they were elated and overjoyed and that solved that problem so I've, I've had my moments where you know I, I've fallen short um but I've learned not to beat myself up. Like everybody makes mistakes, you know, but think creatively of how you can make it right. And sometimes you can't, sometimes people are just unforgiving. Um, I remember um, I was working with another person at GE and she wanted to, um, you know, host, she, wa she wanted to host a meeting and she didn't like something that I did, the, the agenda or something. And, you know, I apologize, but she never forgave me. But I did what I could do and then I just left it. You know, um, she ended up moving to another company, um, but I felt like I did with everything within my power because at some point you gotta let it go. You're not gonna please everybody, you know? I mean, you don't try to displease them, but you know. So yes, we will make mistakes. You know, you try to make it right. You acknowledge it, don't run from it. Don't blame other people you know, don't point the finger, own up to it, you know, um, and then try to make it right. And if they accept it, great. You know, if they don't, then you've got to have some peace within yourself to be able to move on knowing that you did all that you can do within your control. Absolutely. You, you can be your own worst enemy if you don't. You know, that exactly. Piling you it make, onto yourself. Or you can make a bad situation worse. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's bring it into some good situations. Uh, you're currently the executive director of the St. Joseph Parenting Center. Tell us a little bit more about the mission of the Parenting Center and some of the successes that you've had there. Yeah, so St. Joseph Parenting Center started um, about 11 years ago. Uh, the founder, Mizi O'Rourke, um, she has such a heart for families, for kids, and she recognized that there wasn't a lot of resources to help parents um, to uh, help parents become better parents and to help mitigate um, you know child abuse and neglect. And so you know she brought this idea from a, a woman in um, uh, Kathy Clee from Ohio. She brought it to she wanted to do it in Danbury, Connecticut, but the need was greater in Stanford, Stanford, Connecticut. So um, she opened the doors and, um, and you gotta remember we opened, she opened the doors in the end of 2009, which is kind of like some people would have thought was crazy because we had the crash in 2008. And, um, but you know, she believed that this was 
what was needed. And she has grown the organization. We serve about 320 or so parents annually um, that are at risk of child abuse and neglect. Um, and so she built, I like to say she built the foundation. When she hired me in 2019, um, the vision was really how do we grow and expand based on a strong foundation. And so um, last year, so we have three programs. We have a women's circle where women can come and support one another. Um, it's a 12 week session. We do about three a year and they support one another. They, you know, exchange resources. Um, they build up each other's esteem. So that's one. Uh, then we have the 24 seven dads program, which is a program for fathers. Um, it's a closed program it's, and it's 12 weeks and they're taught by dads and they learn about their history, you know, how their father or grandfathers were in their life. They learn about who they are as a father, and then they talk about how do they improve their fatherhood skills. And I'll never forget one guy was like, well, why is he called 24-7 dad? Because like I live in California and my son lives in, in New York. And one and the facilitator said, because you're never not a dad. <laughs> Distance has nothing to do with it. So, <laughs> so um and, and I love to kind of sometimes sneak in those. I mean, guys really want to be good dads to their kids. But sometimes they get caught up in, you know, how the, how their how their father might have raised them in some of the stereotypes, and so we try to break, you know, those down and and, and look at different ways to be there for their children because a child is half mom and half dad, so they need both parents. Um, and then we have our general parenting, which covers a lot about, you know, child development, the different stages of child development, and then some life skill um, courses. And there's 28, it's open enrollment. So those are, that's the bedrock of our um, mission, is to strengthen families that are at risk of child abuse and neglect and by providing parenting education and resource support. So they have case managers, um, everybody that comes in, they have a case manager. They help them with court, they help them with food, they help them with employment, they help them if they need a lawyer. Um, so that's kind of the service that we provide. And I'm so excited because I've had great parenting and I feel like personally, this is a way for me to live out my dad's legacy because he, was, he wasn't a perfect dad, but he was a great dad. Um, so last year, you know, we were contemplating a merger, but that didn't work out. And, um, you know, COVID really, it really shook a lot of families up. And so we were blessed to be able to have service the same amount of families, just about the same amount of families that we did the year before. We never shut down. So I introduced technology. We started doing Zoom parenting classes. Um, when the state shut down, we just pivoted and we never lost, you know, we never lost any traction. And, um, then I, you know, I said, there's got to be a way to generate, you know, more revenue to bolster our programs. And so I took a risk, calculated risk, um, spent $4,000 to hire resource associates to, to look for grants that would benefit our organization. And we ended up getting um, a fire fatherhood grant from the federal government. And um, it's funny because even my board members, they were like, I don't think we're going to get it, but, you know, you know, keep hope alive, you know. Um, and that was in the summertime. And then in October, no, September 29th rolled around and we got this notice stating that we got the award. I mean, everybody, nobody could, we had never gotten a federal grant. Who are we? We're a small nonprofit organization in Stanford, Connecticut. And they awarded it to us $3.3 million over five years to bolster Ooh. our 24 seven dad program. So we are just over the moon. That's incredible. Nice. Grateful to, grateful to God because, you know, there was another parenting organization. They had applied for it too, but we were, we were the chosen one. Yeah. The, the granting process is not, not easy for those out there who are not familiar with it. I, uh, I did a, a grad school project for a small nonprofit that was basically they put bread on the table through grants and they, they literally had to have multiple people whose sole job it was, was to fill out 
and monitor their grant submission process. It is intense. It is. And there's a lot of monitoring. There's, there's a, there's, I mean, I think we didn't think so at the time, but filling out the grant was the easy part. Now, <laughs> right. they have, you know, we have so many checks, there's so many checks and balance in terms of reporting financially, you mm-hmm. know, program measurements, successes, all of that. But you know, if it's going to help our family. So, so the 24 seven dad is the 12 dad parenting classes. We also have included three classes on job readiness. And then we have, um, we've included six of the general parenting classes. And then we have nine classes for those who have domestic violent violence issues. Um, they call it IPV intimate partner violence. Um, we have nine classes. So that makes the composite of the new and improved 24-7 dad program. We're going to come up with a new name. We just haven't come up with it yet. So um, we've been, you know, putting together all the pieces and we're going to roll it out April 1st, um, which is when all of the federal grant recipients roll it out on April 1st. So we're excited. Oh, that's 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 tremendously exciting. Oh, I'm thrilled for you. I, can, I don't know if you can hear it, but that's all oh, that that much money uh, for a program like like yours, that is going to make a tremendous difference in your community. That's it is so and, cool. I mean, we went from like a six hundred and forty thousand dollar organization to a one point three, literally hmm. overnight. So, well, how can our audience help you with your programs? What can they do to get involved? What can they do to donate? Awesome. What I really need is um, fathers who are willing to um, teach classes. So all of our curriculum is already, um, have, has already been created. And so I have like this two, two, two idea where if we can get a dad to teach two classes, two times a year for two hours from the comfort of their home, because we're using Zoom, that would be a tremendous benefit for us. Um, we're also looking for Hispanic teachers um, and we're also looking for professionals in the healthcare industry that work with, um, that work with children, um, not children, but they work with adults who, um, like the different stages of development of children. So those, are, those are the three areas that we, we need more Latino, um, facilitators, um, I'm looking for dads because the fatherhood grant and we're looking for healthcare professionals that specialize in child development. If we could get people just two classes, two hours, two times a year, I think that it's a small sacrifice that would have a tremendous impact on our organization. And we're also looking to expand in Danbury, Connecticut, which is the town that I live in which is like 30 miles away. So we're, we're on the move. Now, to be clear, anyone who wants to participate, the, the facilitators you're looking for, do they also need to be in Connecticut or is this open with it's Zoom open. now nationwide? Nationwide. All right. Well, Alliance Party, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> I think 222 is, is a pretty reasonable, pretty low impact thing for you, yes. but it can make a real difference to these families. So... If you're a parent, pay it forward. Pay it forward. forward. (laughs) This is something that you can do to make a real difference. And this this kind of stuff is what the Alliance Party is all about, strengthening our communities at the end of the day. So, yes. uh, I also want to mention before we we move on, and and by the way, if anyone wants to get more involved, uh, their website is sjpcenter.org. And Rhonda, I don't know if there's another way that they'd like to you'd like for them to get in touch with you? Is there any social media? Yes, we have a LinkedIn page. We have an Instagram page and we have a Facebook page. And so it's S is in Sam, J is in Joseph, P is in Peter, center.org. And so we have social media, we have our website um, and then they can call. Our number is 203. I don't really call myself, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what is the number? And I don't even have a business card. Um, 
If you go to the website, the number is there. Or you can email me directly. My email address is R Neil, and that's spelled N as in Nancy, E A L as in Larry, at S as in Sam, J as in Joseph, P as in Peter, center.org. You can email me directly. Um, I'll put you in touch with our director of outreach and strategic partners. And she will walk you through the classes that are available. She'll even give you um, a sample of the class outline so that you'll know how to facilitate the class. And then there's always room for you to kind of add your own personal um, experience. Um, there's some paperwork that's required and then you'll be transitioned to um, a volunteer associate who will get you all set up, you know, pick a date. And uh, so we, we have a system in place to onboard new parent facilitators. And before we go, I, I definitely want to mention another organization that's been a recurring theme in our podcast, Inroads. Yes. Uh, share Inroads, what's their mission? Um, notable accomplishments? How could people get involved there? Because it seems like they had a very formative impact in your career. Oh, yes. So the mission of Inroads is to develop in place talented minority youth in business and in industry and prepare them for corporate and community leadership. So the format of um, Inroads is such that um, they recruit high potential diverse talent. They run them through leadership training um, throughout the summer. They match them with corporate corporations who want to develop diverse pre-professional talents for their full-time um, employment ranks, future employment ranks. Um, so students get a chance to kind of work in, in corporate America. Sometimes they'll have rotational experiences where they may be in finance marketing, or sometimes it's just, you know, um, one particular area of focus. And they work throughout the summer, they get paid corporations, they pay um, a sponsorship fee. Now, back when I was there, it was like 4,500 for each intern. Um, but it was a way for them to kind of reallocate their resources to recruit diverse talent as opposed for them to try to figure it out themselves. And um, our goal is to place 80% of our students with their sponsoring companies and 90% with any of the corporations that are within the inroads family. But the difference is you'll have a student who knows your culture, who has worked with you, um, who keeps their grades up. Um, they've demonstrated professionalism and they've had leadership training all throughout their two to four year um, stay as an, as an intern. And so it's, it's a great way to pipeline high diverse talent which is extremely valuable for any organization. Trust yeah. me, as someone who has done, oh gosh, I can't even count how many recruitment interviews. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes a big difference. Um, you know, when you look at diverse talent, um, some of the brightest talent come, they come from impoverished families where they don't have a support system that teaches them like how to dress or, um, I mean, they're smart, but they don't have the polish. Um, mm -hmm. and so by putting them in this type of a program, it helps them to broaden their horizon and develop some soft skills so that they can now take their smarts and their soft skills and be successful. Absolutely. And an invaluable career development. Yes. Opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we have been talking with Rhonda Neal, executive director of the St. Joseph Parenting Center. A hardworking individual who's dedicated her life to helping people achieve their true potential. I think that's a more than fair description, Rhonda. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I, I try. It's, it's really not about me. It, it really, it isn't. It's, it's about how do we, I, I believe that our value is how we empower others, not what we keep and hoard for ourselves. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I think we'd be much, we'd be much, uh, a much better off nation if everyone took that approach. So I think everyone in our audience has a lot to learn from you. 
thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for all of your inspiring work. And thank you out there for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You can subscribe through iTunes, Google, or Spotify. If you'd enjoyed listening to this podcast and would like to get involved with the Alliance Party in general, please see our website at www.theallianceparty.com. As we expand our party, we need your involvement. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Donations and volunteers are always welcome. If you want to contact us here at Alliance Party After Dark, drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com and also see our Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. I'm Greg from Philly, your host for this evening's edition of the Alliance Party After Dark. And on behalf of everyone here at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, please take care of yourself and those around you.